This series is designed to encourage everyone to engage in a big Bible theme throughout the week. And don't forget to share the teaching link or sermon with your friends. Let's grow together as disciples of Jesus. Extraordinary men and women went before us with unmatched resilience, enduring hardship, when called upon to defend and liberate. They said, yes. They found courage to rise with every son, loyalty toward their country, discipline for every command. Even in the darkest hours, they said, yes. They cherished and fought for freedom, so those coming behind them were assured of it. And when the moment came for them to give it all, their futures never to be written, they said, yes. Today, we think upon their sacrifice and find our way to honor them, saying yes to making the most of what they gave us and filling the earth with God's goodness. We thank them for their yes. They will never be forgotten. I was struggling on how to open this message, and I found that tribute to those who've died in service in defending our freedom. And I thought, what a better way to start a message about hope. Talking about those people who've gone on before us and served in the military or served in some fashion in defending the hope of this country and died in the service uh, of, that, uh, of that mission. And so, I'm, you know, as all of us, we're so grateful for all those who serve on the front lines, whether it be military or nurses or whoever, but we are especially honoring this weekend those who've died in defending our freedom and the freedom of others. And they rose above a challenge uh, far greater than themselves. They rose to meet a, a mission that brought hope to the world. Where would we be had it not been for those who've given their lives so that we can worship in freedom, so that we can live in freedom? And it just reflects what I think is the life of Jesus, that he would sacrifice his own life so that the world might be free. This gives us hope. And, and so in times of uncertainty, in times where, like now, where there's like, what's the next few months going to look like or the next years look like, we have to develop a patient hope, a patient hope. Tim Keller says, what you believe about the future to be completely shapes how you're living now. What you believe the future is going to be completely shapes how you're living now. We are absolutely shaped by how we see the future. And so uh, there's a great example of this in a book by Andrew DeBlanco, uh, who wrote, he was a Columbia University professor. I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but he, he certainly touch, uh, touches on this big theme of hope in his book called The Real American Dream, A Meditation of Hope. He writes, he says, the thing that makes cultures different is the way they hope. Hope is the way we overcome the lurking suspicion that all our getting and all our spending amounts to nothing more than fidgeting while we wait for death. Like without hope, we can't form our story. We have to have hope. It brings the randomness of our life into some chapters. It brings some meaning uh, to what we're going through. And each culture has a certain way they hope. One of the things that fascinates me when I talk to people who aren't from this country, people I've talked to from India or Africa, is they just, they're fascinated about the hopefulness of Americans. And, and what's interesting to me is that uh, I think a lot of that is into our Christian roots. I think how God has blessed us. I think uh, there's, a, there's a certain persona that we carry, there's a hopefulness that we can overcome. Now, 
as a preacher, I'm trying to make sure that we put our shift on God and not on our own abilities. Because without the Lord, no nation stands. And any nation that does stand is because it's honoring the Lord. And so um, uh, I think the Blanco is right in, in that how, how a culture hopes shapes their country. And so um, what is the Christian hope? What does our hope look like from Scripture? Not just from what we've experienced, but from Scripture. And so this next Bible Project video will help flesh that out as we dive back into this topic of hope today. So let's say you want to describe the feeling of anticipating a future that's better than the present. You might be giddy or excited or maybe unsure, but most of us know that experience. We call it hope. It's a state of anticipation, and it's crucial for healthy human existence. And it's a really important concept in the Bible. In fact, there are many words for hope in the ancient languages of the Bible, and they're all fascinating. In the Old Testament, there are two main Hebrew words translated as hope. The first is yachal, which means simply to wait for. Like in the story of Noah and the ark, as the floodwaters recede, Noah had to yachal for weeks. The other Hebrew word is kava, which also means to wait. It's related to the Hebrew word kav, which means cord. When you pull a kav tight, you produce a state of tension until there's release. That's kava, the feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. The prophet Isaiah depicts God as a farmer who plants vines and kavas for good grapes. Or the prophet Micah talks about farmers who both kava and yachal for morning dew to give moisture to the land. So in biblical Hebrew, hope is about waiting or expectation. But waiting for what? In the period of Israel's prophets, as the nation was sinking into self-destruction, Isaiah said, at this moment, the Lord's hiding his face from Israel, so I will kavah for him. The only hope Isaiah had in those dark days was the hope for God himself. You find the same notion of hope all over the book of Psalms, where these words appear over 40 times. In almost every case, what people are waiting for is God. Like in Psalm 130, the poet cries out from a pit of despair, I kavah for the Lord, let Israel yachal for the Lord, because he's loyal and will redeem Israel from its sin. Biblical hope is based on a person, which makes it different from optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see, in any situation, how circumstances could work out for the best. But biblical hope is not focused on circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there's no evidence things will get better but you choose hope anyway. Like the prophet Hosea, he lived in a dark time when Israel was being oppressed by foreign empires and he chose hope when he said God could turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope, like the day when Israel came up from the land of Egypt. God had surprised his people with redemption back in the days of the Exodus and he could do so again. So it's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. You look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than God's character. Like the poet of Psalm 39 who says, And now, O Lord, what else can I kavah for? You are my yachal. In the New Testament, the earliest followers of Jesus cultivated the similar habit of hope. They believed that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's surprising response to our slavery to evil and death. The empty tomb opened up a new door of hope, and they used the Greek word elpis to describe this anticipation. The Apostle Peter said that Jesus' resurrection opened up a living hope, that people can be reborn, to become new and different kinds of humans. More than once, the Apostle Paul says the good news about Jesus announces the El Peace of glory. In both cases, this El Peace is based on a person, the risen Jesus, who has overcome death. And this hope wasn't just for humans. The Apostles believed that what happened to Jesus in the resurrection was a foretaste of what God had planned for the whole universe. In Paul's words, it's a hope that creation itself will be liberated from slavery to corruption into freedom when God's children are glorified. So Christian hope is bold, waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be rescued from evil and death. And some would say it's crazy, and maybe it is. But biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. And so we wait. That's what the biblical words for hope are all about. So our hope has a rich history in Scripture, and it's hard to understand uh, sometimes unless we do some comparison. 
So I want to compare a worldly hope, which is an expectation of something or someone, to bring a good change to bad circumstances. That's how we define hope outside of the Bible. But within Scripture, a Christian hope is the expectation of God to liberate everyone and everything from the consequence of sin. It's, it's, a, it's a much bigger hope that re- really requires a much bigger trust, a trust in the Lord. And so worldly hope is short-term, it's unreliable. Could you imagine solving the problems of the world would lay on your shoulders alone? Like we'd say, no way, right? So we're trusting that all of the, all of the, the consequences of a broken world, they lie on, on the Father's shoulders and He can handle it because He has a track record of doing so. Godly hope has God's history to prove He can do the impossible. When has impossible ever been true of the Lord? Never. So he's always conquered the impossible. And of course, of course, God can bring good things out of our temporary trials. We have that scripture, Romans eight twenty eight, that we talk about all the time, that God can bring good out of bad. You know the passage. If you don't, that's a great one to go to. But it's always in light of his eternal purpose. If God brings good into our, our temporary uh, uh, existence at moments, and he does, obviously he does, it's so that we might give him praise and glory. If there are circumstances like a thorn in the flesh, Paul speaks about, if there are circumstances that stay with us our whole life, it's so that we might long for the day that we're liberated from all that. All of these things are working into God's eternal plan, not his temporary plan. And so the state of the Christian hope looks forward to the Lord restoring the cosmos, resurrecting all that's been lost, far better than just changing the present circumstances. So today we're going to dive back into 1 Peter. And uh, there's, you, could, you could preach sermons on hope throughout the entire Bible. Uh, it, it's certainly a big theme. But I want to jump back into 1 Peter. And if you were here last week or, or not, it uh, 1 Peter is written to a group of Christians in Rome who are going through immense suffering. Nero has burned part of the city, and he's blamed it on Christians. And they're facing uh, trial after trial to escalate, till they'll be thrown to the lions and burned on stakes, and all those terrible things that happened to them. And so uh, Nero's bringing such hardship on these people. So he writes this letter out of that. Uh, out of that context. And so he says in verse 3, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. So there's just a couple things that I want to highlight out of this passage, and I've emboldened the words, a living hope and inheritance to point us to that, to these thoughts. First of all, our living hope flows from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's where our hope flows from. So if you don't believe in the resurrection, it's hard to have this living hope. Peter, along with more than 500 others, witnessed the resurrected Jesus Christ. And that changed how he looked at everything. He suffered trials on his own. And and, and so he understood that the trials he was suffering were in light of the future hope that God would provide in the redeeming of all mankind. And that's why he would endure the things that he did endure, and that's why he's coaching these young Christians in Rome to endure the same thing. This fact of the resurrection changed, changed everything that Peter saw, and, and it made sense out of all this. This past week, we lost another hero of our faith, Ravi Zacharias. Uh, Ajay Law, which some of you are friends with, said he's the greatest evangelist to ever come from India. And uh, so I got a couple quotes from Ravi this week, because if you're like me, you love Ravi. What an apologist he was. But Ravi says this, outside the cross of Jesus Christ, there is no hope in this world. That cross and the resurrection at the core of the gospel is the only hope for humanity. Wherever you go, ask God for wisdom on how to get that gospel in, even in the toughest situations of life. You remember Ravi's 
his, his, the start of his faith walk began when he tried to take his own life and lay in a hospital bed in India. And, and from, that, from that beginning, he began to, uh, to wrestle with life's biggest questions. And then he became one who would try to answer people's life's biggest questions. And so uh, when people are going through difficult circumstances, the only thing that they really need is this eternal hope because their present circumstances may not change much, but what they really need is to have this hope in the resurrected Christ. Um, we lost another hero uh, last month. Her name was Dr. Laura Breen. Uh, she, she actually took her own life. She was a doctor, and she served at the Presbyterian Allen Hospital in New York. Uh, she, she herself contracted COVID and recovered from it and treated patient after patient, but she returned to Charlottesville to be with her family one weekend, and she was overwhelmed with the guilt of not being able to save her patients, many of them who died. She was overwhelmed with the distress of what was going on in her life, and her father believed that this overwhelming sense of grief and guilt is why she, why she ended her life. If a person doesn't have the living hope grounded in the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there will be events that come into their life that they're not able to cope with, that they're not able to make sense out of. When we share the gospel, we share the most important thing we could possibly share, and that's the hope in Jesus. And I, and I, can't, imagine there, I can't imagine the people that are, are grieving or suffering uh, who are processing all that's going on around them. It may seem distant to us, but it, for very many people, it's up close in living color. And so uh, when our hope depends on anything other than Jesus, it cannot bear the weight, this suffering in this world that exists. So our living hope is secure with our Father in heaven, which is the next point of the word inheritance that we see in this passage. Uh, it's a banker's term. It's, it's, you know what an inheritance is. It, 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 it's the same, same, same thought that they had, we have about an inheritance. Something that we receive, not because of anything that we've really done, but really just a gift, and it's permanent. It's, it, it, it's for us, kept for us. Where? Not in this world, but in heaven. So no temporary trial in this world can threaten our permanent hope. We live in a world suffering under the cosmic law of Entropy, that there's this gradual breakdown in the universe. I turned 58 last week. Thank you for all who sent me birthday wishes. But uh, I, I feel it. I'm beginning to feel it. I know I look just like 100% up here, but I'm really not. Uh, as you are, uh, if you've aged at all, you know what I'm talking about. We live in a world of entropy. Our bodies wear out, our houses wear out, our cars wear out. The world is wearing out. That's what Isaiah talks about, wearing out like a garment. And so uh, this, this breakdown of the earth that we live in can trouble us if our hope is in this world. And so um, several weeks ago, uh, I talked about this subject of hope. And you might be wondering, why is he talking about it again? Because I don't think there's ever been a more uh, appropriate time to emphasize the hope in Jesus Christ. Uh, some people hope in these types of things. They hope in their family. They hope in their spouse. They hope in retirement. They hope in government. They hope in medicine. They hope in science. They hope in education, or they might hope in money, financial wealth. But all those are worldly things. It's not that those things are bad, but don't put your hope in your family. Don't put your hope in your spouse. Don't put your hope in your kids. Don't put your hope in your 401k. Don't put your hope in science coming up with a cure. Don't put your hope in education that we'll just figure it all out. What, this frame, if you remember, what, what, what do you frame, what do you put in that frame of hope? What, what, how is your hope framed out? Here's how it should be framed. With Jesus. That's all you need to do. to put. That's the only thing that needs to be in your frame of hope. I wrestle with this, just to be honest with you, because I, I married up. Have you ever met my wife? She's awesome. And I don't, can't imagine life without her. But I know that I could live life without her. Now, I know she can't live life without me, but that's another you know, topic. 
<laughs> Get that back, Nick. So anyway, uh, I was with uh, Curtis English uh, when, when all the barbershoppers opened up. I went and got my COVID haircut removed, you know, uh, just suggesting something there, Evan. But anyway, uh, <laughs> so Curtis lost his dear wife. They were married 67 years. 67 years. And I said, Curtis, how are you? He said, I'm doing fine. Curtis, no, how are you? He says, no, really, I'm doing fine. And we talked a little bit about the loss of his wife that happened a week prior to that. And, I, and, and here's what I've noticed. Because as a preacher, you know, you're going to do funerals, right? And there is such a difference in... In, in talking to a person who's lost someone they love when they're in Christ. Such a difference. You know, crisis brings out the very good and the very bad of all of us, right? And, 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 and when a crisis like that enters a person's life, you can see where their faith rests. If his faith was in his wife, he would have been crushed. But his faith is in Christ, and he knows that he'll see his wife again, and it'll be a lot better in that moment than in this earth that's so broken. And so our hope must be in something outside of ourselves, and I'm arguing that it should be in Jesus Christ. The importance of our hope being outside of ourselves is so powerfully explained by Viktor Frankl's book, The Man's Search for Meaning. If you have not read this book, you should. You should. Uh, One of the quotes from Viktor is, those who have a why to live can bear with almost any how. And so this is a story, the book is about his life experience of being uh, brought into a, a Nazi, tra- uh, Nazi concentration camp during World War II. And uh, he's a psychiatrist, and what he would do in the evening, he would counsel people to keep his own sanity, to give him something to do. He would, pr- he would provide counseling for those who were going through this trauma, and that, that gave him a reason to live, right? But he was helping them cope with the horrible things that were going on around them. And so uh, he, he, what, what he talks about throughout this book is that a person's life was condensed from years to a year or months. And so uh, what normally happens over the long span of our life is that there's a, there's a loss of home, a loss of belongings, a loss of health, a loss of people that we love, a loss of career, uh, and, and then the loss of life. So what normally takes a, a year for us to process through would happen in a couple months or a year. And, and so, so they're, they're suffering all this trauma. And, and, and he talks about those who survived and those didn't survive. Sort of like we talked about Admiral Stockdale last week. He, 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 there's, some, there's some really strong parallels. And, and, and so he, he talks about those that, those that tried to survive the trauma, they would have some type of fantasy. A fantasy that they and their family would, be, would escape the, the death camp. And when that fantasy was blown up, they would lose hope. He talked about one man he talked to in the evening, perfectly healthy, but he found out the next day that his family was, was, was exterminated. And within a, within, a, within a like short few days, he just died of a broken heart. Like, so, so the only ones who survived, he says, were the ones who had a hope that could not be touched by a Nazi death camp. There was one man who was a baker that said, one day I'm going to bake bread for others. You know? and, he, and he begins to make the parallels about their hope had to be outside of themselves. And so when we have a hope that, that can be touched and it's taken, we're going to be decimated. But when we come into these world trials like we're in right now, and we have a hope that's outside of this world, we're not going to be decimated. We're not going to be crushed. We're not, you you get it? Like, we understand this. It's been interesting watching the reruns of sports. Anybody been checking out some of the Final Four reruns or the Final Four Super Bowl or final uh, reruns of the Super Bowl? Anybody been watching those? And so I, I, you know, I know that some of the the games that I like to watch have been on there. And uh, it's so funny, is it not, to watch a rerun of a sporting event when you know the outcome, right? Like, so... So, or maybe you've had this experience where you've DVR'd the event and you're trying to get everybody to shut up about it. You turn the, you know, the notifications off on your phone so you don't find out the score you watch it and all that type of thing. And then somebody tells you. And then when you're watching the game or you're watching the rerun 
and there's some, your team is faltering, your team has got some bad calls, and, and they're behind by three touchdowns or whatever, you're not that upset. You know why? Because you know the outcome, right? You know how this game's going to turn out, even though in the middle of that game, it looks bad for your team. John saw our hope. He saw our hope. And Jesus said, you write this down. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne say, saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the older thing, or old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. The truest thing that you know about your life today is that you have a certain hope that cannot be taken away. And that's what we're living for. Peter says, at the end of this, close to the end of this letter, he says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for your hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience that, that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. We got to have an answer. I just read it to you. We got to have an answer. The three largest online evangelistic ministries, Global Media Outreach, Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, and Crew, all three say that the number of people seeking online information about Jesus has increased dramatically during this whole COVID experience. There has never been a better time to be, a, be the church. <laughs> I'm just saying. We, we are seeing, one of the directors says from Crew, he says, we are seeing millions of people open to talking about their faith. In the face of fear. I gave blood, gave, my wife and I gave blood the other day. And, and as soon as, uh, as the vampire, I mean the, the, whatever that she's called. As soon as that woman who takes your blood uh, began, knew I was a preacher. Guess what? She had question after question. Is this, is this the end times? Is this that? Is this that? Like they're asking me. Like I don't have to initiate it. They're asking. And so this is truly a great opportunity God's character, his promises, rescue and restore us from the, is the only thing that will endure and, 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 and from generation to generation. Let me close with this quote. That's not the quote I wanted to close with. There it is. I have to close this thing down. I had more to say, but this is, this is where we're going to stop. The cross of Christ, Ravi says, the cross of Christ is the crux of history. We must share this hope. Without the cross, history cannot be defined or corrected. The only way we can process what is going on around us is in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The cross pays the penalty for the brokenness of the world, and the resurrection promises the hope for the new world. Man, I'm telling you, we have a hope that is worth talking about. Please, this is your takeaway. This is your action point. This is what you're supposed to do when you leave here. You're supposed to talk to people about your hope in Jesus. That's what you're supposed to do. That's your mission. That's my mission. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to just dive into this text. I wish we had more time, but, but anyway, Lord, here we are knowing that you are more than able to bring us through this uh, uh, experience and even shine through it. Lord, I, I anticipate uh, new growth and new faith in new people. Lord, help us as we proclaim your goodness to the world around us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on the web at cornerstonechatham.org. 
This series is designed to encourage everyone to engage in a big Bible theme throughout the week. And don't forget to share the teaching link or sermon with your friends. Let's grow together as disciples of Jesus. Extraordinary men and women went before us with unmatched resilience, enduring hardship, when called upon to defend and liberate. They said, yes. They found courage to rise with every son, loyalty toward their country, discipline for every command, even in the darkest hours, they said, yes. They cherished and fought for freedom, so those coming behind them were assured of it. And when the moment came for them to give it all, their futures never to be written, they said, yes. Today, we think upon their sacrifice and find our way to honor them saying yes to making the most of what they gave us and filling the earth with God's goodness. We thank them for their yes. They will never be forgotten. I was struggling on how to open this message and I found that tribute to those who've died in service defending our freedom, and I thought, what a better way to start a message about hope. Talking about those people who've gone on before us and served in the military or served in some fashion in defending the hope of this country and died in the service uh, of, that, uh, of that mission. And so, I'm, you know, as all of us, we're so grateful for all those who serve on the front lines whether it be military or nurses or whoever, but we are especially honoring this weekend those who've died in defending our freedom and the freedom of others. And they rose above a challenge uh, far greater than themselves. They rose to meet a, a mission that brought hope to the world. Where would we be had it not been for those who've given their lives so that we can worship in freedom, so that we can live in freedom. And it just reflects what I think is the life of Jesus, that he would sacrifice his own life so that the world might be free. This gives us hope. And, and so in times of uncertainty, in times where, like now, where there's like, what's the next few months going to look like or the next years look like, we have to develop a patient hope, a patient hope. Tim Keller says, what you believe about the future to be completely shapes how you're living now. What you believe the future is going to be completely shapes how you're living now. We are absolutely shaped by how we see the future. And so uh, there's a great example of this in a book by Andrew DeBlanco, uh, who wrote, he was a Columbia University professor. I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but he, he certainly touch, uh, touches on this big theme of hope in his book called The Real American Dream, A Meditation of Hope. He writes, he says, The thing that makes cultures different is the way they hope. Hope is the way we overcome the lurking suspicion that all our getting and all our spending amounts to nothing more than fidgeting while we wait for death. Like, without hope, we can't form our story. We have to have hope. It brings the randomness of our life into some chapters. It brings some meaning uh, to what we're going through. And each culture has a certain way they hope. One of the things that fascinates me when I talk to people who aren't from this country, people I've talked to from India or Africa, is they just, they're fascinated about the hopefulness of Americans. And what's interesting to me is that uh, I think a lot of that is into our Christian roots. I think how God has blessed us. I think uh, there's, a, there's a certain persona that we carry, there's a hopefulness that we can overcome. Now, 
as a preacher, I'm trying to make sure that we put our shift on God and not on our own abilities. Because without the Lord, no nation stands. And any nation that does stand is because it's honoring the Lord. And so um, uh, I think DeBlanco is right in, in that how, how a culture hopes shapes their country. And so um, what is the Christian hope? What does our hope look like from Scripture? Not just from what we've experienced, but from Scripture. And so this next Bible Project video will help flesh that out as we dive back into this topic of hope today. So let's say you want to describe the feeling of anticipating a future that's better than the present. You might be giddy or excited or maybe unsure, but most of us know that experience. We call it hope. It's a state of anticipation, and it's crucial for healthy human existence. And it's a really important concept in the Bible. In fact, there are many words for hope in the ancient languages of the Bible, and they're all fascinating. In the Old Testament, there are two main Hebrew words translated as hope. The first is yachal, which means simply to wait for. Like in the story of Noah and the ark, as the floodwaters recede, Noah had to yachal for weeks. The other Hebrew word is kava, which also means to wait. It's related to the Hebrew word kav, which means cord. When you pull a kav tight, you produce a state of tension until there's release. That's kava, the feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. The prophet Isaiah depicts God as a farmer who plants vines and kavahs for good grapes. Or the prophet Micah talks about farmers who both kavah and yachal for morning dew to give moisture to the land. So in biblical Hebrew, hope is about waiting or expectation. But waiting for what? In the period of Israel's prophets, as the nation was sinking into self-destruction, Isaiah said, at this moment, the Lord's hiding his face from Israel, so I will kavah for him. The only hope Isaiah had in those dark days was the hope for God himself. You find the same notion of hope all over the book of Psalms, where these words appear over 40 times. In almost every case, what people are waiting for is God. Like in Psalm 130, the poet cries out from a pit of despair, I kavah for the Lord, let Israel yachal for the Lord, because he's loyal and will redeem Israel from its sin. Biblical hope is based on a person, which makes it different from optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see, in any situation, how circumstances could work out for the best. But biblical hope is not focused on circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there's no evidence things will get better, but you choose hope anyway. Like the prophet Hosea. He lived in a dark time when Israel was being oppressed by foreign empires, and he chose hope when he said God could turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope, like the day when Israel came up from the land of Egypt. God had surprised his people with redemption back in the days of the Exodus, and he could do so again. So it's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. You look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than God's character. It's like the poet of Psalm 39 who says, And now, O Lord, what else can I kavah for? You are my yachal. In the New Testament, the earliest followers of Jesus cultivated the similar habit of hope. They believed that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's surprising response to our slavery to evil and death. The empty tomb opened up a new door of hope. And they used the Greek word elpis to describe this anticipation. The Apostle Peter said that Jesus' resurrection opened up a living hope, that people can be reborn, to become new and different kinds of humans. More than once, the Apostle Paul says the good news about Jesus announces the elpis of glory. In both cases, this elpis is based on a person, the risen Jesus, who has overcome death. And this hope wasn't just for humans. The apostles believed that what happened to Jesus in the resurrection was a foretaste of what God had planned for the whole universe. In Paul's words, it's a hope that creation itself will be liberated from slavery to corruption into freedom when God's children are glorified. So Christian hope is bold, waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be rescued from evil and death. And some would say it's crazy, and maybe it is. But biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. And so we wait. That's what the biblical words for hope are all about. So our hope has a rich history in Scripture, and it's hard to understand uh, sometimes unless we do some comparison. 
So I want to compare a worldly hope, which is an expectation of something or someone to bring a good change to bad circumstances. That's how we define hope outside of the Bible. But within Scripture, a Christian hope is the expectation of God to liberate everyone and everything from the consequence of sin. It's, it's, a, it's a much bigger hope that re- really requires a much bigger trust, a trust in the Lord. And so worldly hope is short-term. It's unreliable. Could you imagine solving the problems of the world would lay on your shoulders alone? Like we'd say, no way, right? So we're trusting that all of the, all of the consequences of the broken world, they lie on, on the Father's shoulders and He can handle it because He has a track record of doing so. Godly hope has God's history to prove He can do the impossible. When has impossible ever been true of the Lord? Never. So he's always conquered the impossible. And of of course, God can bring good things out of our temporary trials. We have that scripture, Romans 8, 28, that we talk about all the time, that God can bring good out of bad. You know the passage. If you don't, that's a great one to go to. But it's always in light of his eternal purpose. If God brings good into our, our temporary uh, uh, existence at moments, and he does, obviously he does, it's so that we might give him praise and glory. If there are circumstances like a thorn in the flesh, Paul speaks about if there are circumstances that stay with us our whole life, it's so that we might long for the day that we're liberated from all that. All of these things are working into God's eternal plan, not his temporary plan. And so the state of the Christian hope looks forward to the Lord restoring the cosmos, resurrecting all that's been lost, far better than just changing the present circumstances. So today we're going to dive back into 1 Peter. And uh, there's, you, could, you could preach sermons on hope throughout the entire Bible. Uh, it, it's certainly a big theme. But I want to jump back into 1 Peter. And if you were here last week or, or not, it uh, 1 Peter is written to a group of Christians in Rome who are going through immense suffering. Nero has burned part of the city, and he's blamed it on Christians. And they're facing uh, trial after trial to escalate, till they'll be thrown to the lions and burned on stakes, and all those terrible things that happened to them. And so uh, Nero's bringing such hardship on these people. So he writes this letter out of that. Uh, out of of that context. And so he says in verse 3, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. So there's just a couple things that I want to highlight out of this passage, and I've emboldened the words, a living hope and inheritance to point us to that, to these thoughts. First of all, our living hope flows from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's where our hope flows from. So if you don't believe in the resurrection, it's hard to have this living hope. Peter, along with more than 500 others, witnessed the resurrected Jesus Christ. And that changed how he looked at everything. He suffered trials on his own. And and, and so he understood that the trials he was suffering were in light of the future hope that God would provide in the redeeming of all mankind. And that's why he would endure There's things that he did endure, and that's why he's coaching these young Christians in Rome to endure the same thing. This fact of the resurrection changed changed everything that Peter saw, and and it made sense out of all this. This past week, we lost another hero of our faith, Ravi Zacharias. Uh, Ajay Law, which some of you are friends with, said he's the greatest evangelist to ever come from India. And uh, so I got a couple quotes from Ravi this week, because if you're like me, you love Ravi. What an apologist he was. But Ravi says this, outside the cross of Jesus Christ, there is no hope in this world. That cross and resurrection at the core of the gospel is the only hope for humanity. Wherever you go, ask God for wisdom on how to get that gospel in, even in the toughest situations of life. You remember Ravi's 
his, his, the start of his faith walk began when he tried to take his own life and lay in a hospital bed in India. And, and from, that, from that beginning, he began to, uh, to wrestle with life's biggest questions. And then he became one who would try to answer people's life's biggest questions. And so uh, when people are going through difficult circumstances, the only thing that they really need is this eternal hope because their present circumstances may not change much, but what they really need is to have this hope in the resurrected Christ. Um, we lost another hero uh, last month. Her name was Dr. Laura Breen. Uh, she, she actually took her own life. She was a doctor, and she served at the Presbyterian Allen Hospital in New York. Uh, she, she herself contracted COVID and recovered from it and treated patient after patient, but she returned to Charlottesville to be with her family one weekend, and she was overwhelmed with the guilt of not being able to save her patients, many of them who died. She was overwhelmed with the distress of what was going on in her life, and her father believed that this overwhelming sense of grief and guilt is why she, why she ended her life. If a person doesn't have the living hope grounded in the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there will be events that come into their life that they're not able to cope with, that they're not able to make sense out of. When we share the gospel, we share the most important thing we could possibly share, and that's the hope in Jesus. And I, and I, can't, imagine there, I can't imagine the people that are, are grieving or suffering uh, who are processing all that's going on around them. It may seem distant to us, but it, for very many people, it's up close in living color. And so uh, when our hope depends on anything other than Jesus, it cannot bear the weight, this suffering in this world that exists. So our living hope is secure with our Father in heaven, which is the next point of the word inheritance that we see in this passage. Uh, it's a banker's term. It's, it's, you know what an inheritance is. It, 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 it's the same, same, same thought that they had, we have about an inheritance. Something that we receive not because of anything that we've really done, but really just a gift, and it's permanent. It's, it, it, it's for us, kept for us. We're not in this world, but in heaven. So no temporary trial in this world can threaten our permanent hope. We live in a world suffering under the cosmic law of Entropy, that there's this gradual breakdown in the universe. I turned 58 last week. Thank you for all who sent me birthday wishes. But uh, I, I feel it. I'm beginning to feel it. I know I look just like 100% up here, but I'm really not. Uh, as you are, uh, if you've aged at all, you know what I'm talking about. We live in a world of entropy. Our bodies wear out, our houses wear out, our cars wear out. The world is wearing out. That's what Isaiah talks about, wearing out like a garment. And so uh, uh, this, this breakdown of the earth that we live in can trouble us if our hope is in this world. And so um, several weeks ago, uh, I talked about this subject of hope. And you might be wondering, well, why is he talking about it again? Because I don't think there's ever been a more uh, appropriate time to emphasize the hope in Jesus Christ. Uh, some people hope in these types of things. They hope in their family. They hope in their spouse. They hope in retirement. They hope in government. They hope in medicine. They hope in science. They hope in education, or they might hope in money, financial wealth. But all those are worldly things. It's not that those things are bad, but don't put your hope in your family. Don't put your hope in your spouse. Don't put your hope in your kids. Don't put your hope in your 401k. Don't put your hope in science coming up with a cure. Don't put your hope in education that we'll just figure it all out. What, this frame, if you remember, what, what, what do you frame, what do you put in that frame of hope? What, what, how is your hope framed out? Here's how it should be framed. With Jesus. That's all you need to do. to put. That's the only thing that needs to be in your frame of hope. I wrestle with this, just to be honest with you, because I, I'm married up. Have you ever met my wife? She's awesome. And I don't, can't imagine life without her. But I know that I could live life without her. Now, I know she can't live life without me, but that's another you know, topic. 
<laughs> Good to have you back, Nick. So anyway, uh, I was with uh, Curtis English uh, when, when all the barbershop was opened up. I went and got my COVID haircut removed, you know, uh, just suggesting something there, Evan. But anyway, uh, <laughs> so Curtis lost his dear wife. They were married 67 years. 67 years. And I said, Curtis, how are you? He says, I'm doing fine. Curtis, no, how are you? He says, no, really, I'm doing fine. And we talked a little bit about the loss of his wife that happened a week prior to that. And, I, and, and here's what I've noticed. Because as a preacher, you know, you're going to do funerals, right? And there is such a difference in, in, in talking to a person who's lost someone they love when they're in Christ. Such a difference. You know, crisis brings out the very good and the very bad of all of us, right? And, and, and when a crisis like that enters a person's life, you can see where their faith rests. If his faith was in his wife, he would have been crushed. But his faith is in Christ, and he knows that he'll see his wife again, and it'll be a lot better in that moment than in this earth that's so broken. And so... Our hope must be in something outside of ourselves, and I'm arguing that it should be in Jesus Christ. The importance of our hope being outside of ourselves is so powerfully explained by Viktor Frankl's book, The Man's Search for Meaning. If you have not read this book, you should. You should. Uh, one of the quotes from Victor is, those who have a why to live can bear with almost any how. And so this is a story, the book is about his life experience of being uh, brought into a, a Nazi, tra uh, Nazi concentration camp during World War II, and uh, he's a psychiatrist, and what he would do in the evening, he would counsel people to keep his own sanity, to give him something to do. He would, pr he would provide counseling for those who were going through this trauma, and that, that gave him a reason to live, right? But he was helping them cope with the horrible things that were going on around them. And so uh, he, he, what, what he talks about throughout this book is that a person's life was condensed from years to a year or months. And so uh, what normally happens over the long span of our life is that there's a, there's a loss of home, a loss of belongings, a loss of health, a loss of people that we love, a loss of career, uh, and, and then the loss of life. So what normally takes a, a, a year for us to process through would happen in a couple months or a year. And, and so, so they're, they're suffering all this trauma. And, and, and he talks about those who survived and those didn't survive. Sort of like we talked about Admiral Stockdale last week. It, 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 there's, some, there's some really strong parallels. And, and, and so he, he talks about those that, those that tried to survive the trauma, they would have some type of fantasy. A fantasy that they and their family would, be, would escape the, the death camp. And when that fantasy was blown up, they would lose hope. He talked about one man he talked to in the evening, perfectly healthy, but he found out the next day that his family was, was, was exterminated. And within a, within a like short few days, he just died of a broken heart. Like, so, so the only ones who survived, he says, were the ones who had a hope that could not be touched by a Nazi death camp. There was one man who was a baker that said, one day I'm going to bake bread for others. You know, and he, and he begins to make the parallels about their hope had to be outside of themselves. And so when we have a hope that, that can be touched and it's taken, we're going to be decimated. But when we come into these world trials like we're in right now, and we have a hope that's outside of this world, we're not going to be decimated. We're not going to be crushed. We're not, you, you get it? Like, we understand this. It's been interesting watching the reruns of sports. Anybody been checking out some of the Final Four reruns or the Final Four Super Bowl or Final uh, reruns of the Super Bowl? Anybody been watching those? And so, I, I you know, I know that some of, the, some of the games that I like to watch have been on there. And uh, it's so funny, is it not, to watch a rerun of a sporting event when you know the outcome, right? Like, so... So, or maybe you've had this experience where you've DVR'd the event and you're trying to get everybody to shut up about it. You turn the, you know, the notifications off on your phone so you don't find out the score you watch it and all that type of thing. And then somebody tells you. And then when you're watching the game or you're watching the rerun, 
and there's some, your team is faltering, your team has got some bad calls, and, and they're behind by three touchdowns or whatever, you're not that upset. You know why? Because you know the outcome, right? You know how this game's going to turn out, even though in the middle of that game, it looks bad for your team. John saw our hope. He saw our hope. And Jesus said, you write this down. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the older thing, old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. The truest thing that you know about your life today is that you have a certain hope that cannot be taken away. And that's what we're living for. Peter says, at the end of this, close to the end of this letter, he says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for your hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. We got to have an answer. I just read it to you. We got to have an answer. The three largest online evangelistic ministries, Global Media Outreach, Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, and Crew, all three say that the number of people seeking online information about Jesus has increased dramatically during this whole COVID experience. There has never been a better time to be, a, be the church. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> we, we are seeing, one of the directors says from Crew, he says, we are seeing millions of people open to talking about their faith. In the face of fear, I gave blood. Gave my wife and I gave blood the other day, and and as soon as uh, as the vampire, I mean, whatever she's called, as soon as that woman who takes your blood uh, began knew I was a preacher. Guess what? She had question after question. Is this is this the end times? Is this that? Is this like they're asking me? Like I don't have to initiate it. They're asking, and so this is truly a great opportunity. God's character, His promises, rescue and restore us from the, is the only thing that will endure and, 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 and from generation to generation. Let me close with this quote. That's not the quote I wanted to close with. There it is. I have to close this thing down. I had more to say, but this is, this is where we're going to stop. The cross of Christ, Ravi says, the cross of Christ is the crux of history. We must share this hope. Without the cross, history cannot be defined or corrected. The only way we can process what is going on around us is in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The cross pays the penalty for the brokenness of the world, and the resurrection promises the hope for the new world. Man, I'm telling you, we have a hope that is worth talking about. Please, this is your takeaway. This is your action point. This is what you're supposed to do when you leave here. You're supposed to talk to people about your hope in Jesus. That's what you're supposed to do. That's your mission. That's my mission. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to just dive into this text. I wish we had more time, but, but anyway, Lord, here we are knowing that you are more than able to bring us through this uh, experience and even shine through it. Lord, I, I anticipate uh, new growth and new faith and new people. Lord, help us as we proclaim your goodness to the world around us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on the web at cornerstonechatham.org.